We're going to continue worship. I don't know what worshiping is. It's like kavefe, maybe. We're going to worship kavefe. We're going to continue to worship this morning with our gifts and our tithes and our offerings. And uh, it's just so incredible. Um, I don't know if any of you follow uh, Ranjit or Abraham, his organization on Facebook, and just the incredible things that are going on and what they're doing in the nation of India and actually all over the world. It's pretty amazing. Uh, But, man, it is good to be able to support them and what it is that they're doing. Uh, so thank you for your generosity and that you give so, uh, so beyond, really, uh, for them, what God's doing there. And it's an incredible thing that God's doing there. So this morning, God, we thank you that you first gave to us. And Jesus, as we give, we pray for Abraham and Ranjit, God. We pray for uh, Christ for India. Jesus, we ask that you would continue to pour out blessing on them. What you're doing is miraculous. We're honored to be able to be a part of that. But Jesus, we pray for even more fruit in that ministry, God, for your uh, divine protection, for your divine wisdom over them. And God, that just so many more millions of people would know you because of the sacrifice that, that this church and because of those people are making. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you're new here, thank you so much for being our guest this morning. We're so glad that you took this sunny Sunday morning to come be with us. And uh, in the seat back in front of you, there are some communication cards. We'd love to have you fill one of those out. And as you exit through the doors, you'll see Guest Central. There's some people over there who'd love to meet you, uh, just welcome you to the church and see if there's anything we can do for you. And then this week, I'll send you an email welcoming you. And again, just letting you know that we're so grateful that you chose to be here with us this morning. Also, we have At the Movies coming up. If you are here a couple weeks ago, you saw the preview for that. It's what we do if you weren't. Is we take a movie and we uh, pare it down so there's one theme that's being presented through it. And then we address how it is that the Bible speaks to this. There's popcorn. There's Mike and Ike's and like... I don't know, like other stuff. It's awesome. Anyways, you had to be here to understand it. But that's coming up, and that's going to be on September 17th, the 24th, and then October 1st. And for that, we're switching to two services because we've been growing. And uh, we're going to see a big influx of people this fall. So we'll be having a 9 and an 11 a.m. service. Super excited about that. And here's what we need from you is two things. Number one, uh, we need you to help volunteer for those first three weeks uh, so that we can make lots of places and lots of room for people to encounter Jesus. And in the seat back, there's a little ATM volunteer card you can fill out and turn in at the guest central area. And then we need you to invite your friends, your family, coworkers, neighbors, everybody. It's such a simple and easy way to present the gospel, and it's a lot of fun. So invite, pray for people. Even now, I've got people, I got my list. I'm a list person. I got the list of people I'm inviting, and I'm praying for them right now that God would move on their hearts and do something miraculous in their life. And I'd encourage you to do the same as well. And uh, that's it. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 6. We are still in Luke investigating Jesus, but this is week 20 of it, and I got sick of looking at that same graphic week after week after week. So there we go. We've got new graphics for you as we start teaching through the Beatitudes. And uh, I love the Beatitudes because they're so simple and they seem absolutely wrong. I don't know if you've ever felt like that when you read through them. Or have you ever encountered a truth that just seems so far out there and so just stupid that you think there's no way this can possibly be right? Uh, I think probably one of the best examples of that from history is Edward Jenner, who was the person that was the father of vaccination. So in the late 1700s, smallpox is just ravaging uh, England, and millions of people are dying from smallpox. And what he does is he notices that the people who are milking the cows, they're not getting smallpox. If they get cowpox, he notices these people don't end up developing smallpox. So he gets an idea and says, what I'm going to do 
is I'm going to take some smallpox material from someone who's sick, and I'm going to inject it into someone who's healthy so they won't get smallpox. That seems stupid. Like, that seems like the dumbest thing on earth. And so uh, no, no adults are volunteering for this. He's trying to explain it to people. Nobody's doing it. So what does he do? He gets an eight-year-old kid, of course. He's like, no, trust me, this is going to be fine. It's going to be good. He inoculates the child. The child never gets smallpox. It ends up revolutionizing the way that the world operates. Untold millions of lives have been saved because this man took something that seemed absolutely stupid, like infecting a perfectly healthy person with smallpox material, would lead us to a place where lives were saved. Now, a lot of the teachings of Jesus seem that same way. There's a lot of things where Jesus is teaching on the kingdom of God, and you listen to it, and you're like, Jesus, that's stupid. Like, there is no way that can be right. There's no way this can be true. If I do this, it's going to bring ruin upon my life. And I think nowhere will you see that more than in the Beatitudes. And I, I like putting myself in the place of the people that are hearing this as Jesus is teaching. And it begins in Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 26. It says, Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. What sorrows await you who are rich? For you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrows await you who laugh now? For your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? For their ancestors also praised false prophets. Now can we be honest just for a second and say that sounds terrible? There is no way that can be true. If my choice is I can be blessed by being poor and hungry and having people hate me, or I can take the option of being fat and happy and everybody loves me, like that's a no-brainer for me. I've made that choice. I am the fat, happy guy. Like I continue to make that choice repeatedly because when I'm looking at this and say, which of these lives looks blessed and which looks like it's a sorrow, to me, it looks like it's the poor people that everybody hates that are hungry and crying, not the fat, happy people that everybody loves. So the disciples are listening to this, and it's not even attractive to them. There's nothing about this teaching that appeals to your mind and says, yes, God, I want the blessings of the hungry. Like, sign me up for that. Jesus, I want to follow you so I can be persecuted and hated by other people because that's the real blessing that this world has to offer. But not only is it not attractive to our minds, but also it goes against what everything they believe culturally to be true about the way that the spiritual worked. Their impression was that if you were poor, it was because you had done something bad in your life and now God was judging you, that God was withholding blessing from you and that you were being punished by divinity for something that you had done. Or if you were rich, they thought that this was the sign of God's favor over your life, that because you were rich, it meant that you had done something that was worthy of God blessing you and pouring out riches on you. So it's not attractive to our minds. Nobody wants to go be poor. Everybody wants to be rich and well-liked. But it also goes against what they believe to be true about religion and the way that God works. So everything about this teaching that Jesus is giving them is new to them, and it seems absolutely stupid. So how is it 
that Jesus can be right about these things. Because if we're evaluating it, it doesn't seem like it's true. It doesn't seem attractive to us. So how can Jesus be right about this? And the way that Jesus can be right about the blessing that comes to the poor and the sorrows that await the rich is, number one, if faith matters. If our faith, if our security, if our hope matters, then this can be true for us. See, what Jesus is speaking to, he's speaking to a specific group of people that are hearing this. And it's always important to to remember that and to put ourselves into the context of those who are hearing this spoken to them. Jesus isn't just making a blanket statement about all poor people. He's speaking to a specific group of poor people. Now, there, if I were to go and to take all of the money that I have and to go down to Motor City Casino and blow it all and lose my house and everything else and become poor, that doesn't mean that it's God's blessing on my life. There isn't a blessing for being stupid with my money. Like, that's just not the way it works. What it's speaking to is you have to understand from the context. When Jesus is going through the list of the things, it's saying that when you're persecuted and when you're hated and thought to be evil because of me, then there's blessing for you. If you're, I love this. You always see this happens on social media more than any other place. Is like someone will say something and then someone else says something and then it's a fight and they're jerks to each other and like I'm being persecuted. There's a blessing for me because I'm being persecuted. No, you're a jerk. You're being persecuted because you're mean. There's no blessing for you for being a jerk to other people. And then when they're a jerk back to you, you don't think, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, that's not. There's no blessing involved in that. There's a blessing for those who are seeking after Jesus. You're blessed when you're poor. And this is what poor is defined as. It's those who, it can be economic, you don't have any money, but it goes beyond that. It goes to the way that the culture and the power systems are created and the way that they exist. The poor were the people that not only did they have no money, but it meant that they were on the outside. They were excluded from having any influence over the culture. They were excluded from having any influence over the government. The systems that were created were not created by them, and they had no ability to be a part of changing those systems. They were always the ones who were going to be oppressed, and they weren't going to be able to control their future. They were the people who were poor. But Jesus says to them, but there can be blessing for you. He says, you might be hungry now, but there's going to come a time when that hunger is going to be satisfied. You might be hated now. You might be persecuted now. People might think that you're evil because of the way that you're choosing to live their life. They might think that you're foolish, but there's a blessing that's going to come to you. See, what the difference between the poor and the rich is, and the way that God's speaking to us about this, is that the poor, for them, the good news of Jesus is the only good news that they will ever have. Because all of their hope, all of their faith, all of their security is found only in the person of Jesus and what it is that he can do and what he can provide for them. Now, the rich, again, this isn't a blanket statement that all rich people are bad and great sorrows await them because then it would mean that God cursed Abraham with great wealth and he cursed David and he cursed Solomon with great wealth. That's not the case. Those were blessings that he gave them. Now, the curse comes to you and the sorrows await you when instead of recognizing that God's given you blessings that you're supposed to use for other people to lift them up and to be a help and a blessing to them, And instead of continuing to put your faith and your hope and security all in Jesus, you put your faith, your hope, and your security in what it is that your wealth can create for you. 
We're a people who love security. Much of what we do is because we're scared of other people. We're scared of other things. We're scared of losing power for ourselves. And so we continue to try to use our wealth. We use our influence. We use the power that comes with being in the group of people that are called the rich to continue to keep ourselves secure. And we don't put our hope and we don't put our faith and we don't put our trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. That's the difference between the righteous poor and the unrighteous rich. The righteous poor are following after Jesus. Everything that they have, it's all sold out for Jesus. He's the only hope that they have. The only hope that they have is in the kingdom of God that is coming. For the rich, the ones who the sorrows await, it's because of the fact that they are using their riches to build for themselves a life that they think is going to be secure. Their faith isn't in Jesus. Their hope isn't in Jesus. Their faith and their hope is in themselves and in themselves alone. So the blessings and the curses come down first and foremost to a matter of your faith. What is your hope in? It's possible to be poor and to not have blessings that await you because your hope still isn't in Jesus. It's really easy to be rich and to have curses that await you and sorrows that await you because the temptation for us when we have riches, when we have power and influence, is we're going to continue to use it for ourselves. We're going to continue to use what we have to build security and hope for ourselves. I mean, honestly, if most of us here, probably almost every single one of us, we feel like we could live our life without Jesus. Like, we got food. We've got enough money, there's enough things out there that we can take care of ourselves and we can provide for ourselves. And that's a temptation that always comes along with riches. We get to the point where we feel like we don't need Jesus. But we do. A lot of times the poor are much more eager and much more able to receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because they've found themselves in the place of where they know that they can't provide for themselves. Where there isn't a program or a government that's going to provide for them that the only hope that they have in this world is found in Jesus himself. It's a matter of faith for us. And then number two, if God's kingdom is a reality. The second way that Jesus can be right about the, the blessings and the sorrows that await us is if God's kingdom is a reality. And this is what Jesus did. He inaugurated the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God isn't something that we just hope for. It's not something that we're looking forward to in the future. But the kingdom of God is here and it's now. Jesus came, the king came to establish his kingdom. The kingdom of God just means this. It means the areas and the places and the people that Jesus rules over. That's all a kingdom is. It's the sphere of influence that a king has. So... If you've placed your, your faith in Jesus, and that means that now he's the Lord of your life and that he has a sphere of influence over you, that you live and exist under his reign and his rule, you have entered into the kingdom of God. And when you do that, not only do you have the hope for what God's going to do for you in this life, that he's going to work restoration in your heart, that he's going to bring freedom to you, but you also have the hope of the future that awaits you. Because we understand that this life isn't all that there is. 
that Jesus is coming again one day. When Jesus returns, he's going to put away every system that is evil and oppressive, that he's going to put death and sin away once and for all. There will be no more hurting. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more heartache. All of these things are going to be gone once and for all and forever. And it's just going to be Jesus' perfect love and his perfect peace and perfect unity that we experience with God and with each other. It's going to be heaven restored to earth. That's the hope that we have, is that this life that we're living now, it's not all that there is, but that there's something that's more to come. And when you understand that this, this brief vapor of a life that we live is just such a, a minuscule part of the eternity for which we will exist, then you're willing to put yourself in a place where you say, Jesus, I'm willing to be counted with the poor so that I can attain and so that I can gain what it is that you have to offer me in all of eternity. And this is what Jesus is always doing. If you're a Christian, God's always taking you from the place of the rich and he's moving you to the place of the poor. It's a process that he starts in your heart and it's a way that he's moving you. And Jesus himself set the example for this. Is that It says that for the joy that was set before him, he went to the cross. It was because of the vision and the hope that he had for the future that he gave up the riches of heaven. There's no one who's ever been richer than God. But he gave it up and he came and he joined the poor. Why did he do that? It's because he recognized that the 33 years that he spent on this earth where he would suffer, where he would have to give up his rights and his privileges was a very short time, but that what he would gain through doing that, the reward that awaited him, which was creating for himself a family of billions of people, that was worth it. If we believe that this life is all that we live and it's done after that, then it would be absolutely foolish for you to live for anything else. Then eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if there's more than this brief time that we spend on this earth, then we better start thinking about the reality of what the future holds for us. And when you become convinced of the fact that there's a future that awaits for us and that there are rewards and blessings that await us in heaven, then you're willing to give up things of your own right now so that you can serve other people, so you can take hold of the kingdom, so you can align yourself with the heart of God, so that others can find in Jesus the thing that you have found and that they can receive eternal life just like you have and the blessings that you've received, knowing that in heaven these are things that can never be taken away from you and that there's going to come a day when you stand before the king of all kings and he looks at you and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I'm living for. It's because of that that I can go through the life that we live now saying, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to give up this thing that I have so that I can continue to move myself and align myself with the poor so that I can become one of those who puts my faith only in Jesus, giving up the things that I've been trying to use previously to create security for myself. But it's also the way that you can go through the suffering that will come along as you find yourselves in the groups of the poor. Nabil Qureshi, who probably a lot of you have heard of, uh, what God's done in his life is just absolutely miraculous. He was, uh, he was like a Muslim of Muslims. His parents and grandparents were Muslim missionaries. They had devoted their life to spreading Islam and going to different nations to do this. He's a scholar, an incredibly brilliant man. Um, and it, through trying to lead other people to Islam and refuting the Bible, he ended up, God spoke to him. And this is the way God's so miraculous. He spoke to him through dreams that he used a Muslim dream book to interpret to reveal that it was Jesus who was speaking to him. 
Like, Jesus is awesome. So he comes to the place of where he puts his faith in Jesus, and it cost him something. The moment that he did that, the family that he loved so much and had been so loved by disowned him. He lost the community that he'd been living in. The community is huge. It's so important to us. But he was thought to be a fool. He was thought to be a heretic. He'd turned his back on God, his community, his family. So he was ostracized from the only people that he'd known his entire life. At his own wedding, his parents didn't come. And that's a sacrifice. But God uses him greatly, writes his book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, which is a great book. You should get it and read it. And he's going around and he's speaking, uh, leading lots of Muslims to Jesus, just doing an incredible work. And then last year, he got diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer. A guy in his 30s, just a, a freak thing. Like, this shouldn't happen to someone like him. But stage four stomach cancer, and he's been fighting it, and he's been fighting it. And just yesterday, he posted a, a little video. He does these little videos that or what's going on in his life. And he's been in the hospital for 30 days now. He'd been transferred to MD Anderson. And, and his health is bad. They had to remove his stomach because the tumors were bleeding in his stomach. And if they didn't remove the stomach, he was going to bleed out and die. There are tumors in his liver now. It, it, he looks absolutely awful. And he's sitting there in the video, and he says, please pray for me. I want to go home. I want to see my wife. I want to see my daughter again. Please pray for me that I can go home. He's found himself poor. His health has been taken from him. He's been in more pain than any person should ever go through. He's lost his family. And he's praying for a miracle. But the reality is, he might not get it. His days on this earth might be very short. And he could look at it, and he could say, God, you failed me. God, how could this have happened to me? But instead, he says, God is still so good. And he knows that the kingdom and the fullness of it is what awaits him. And he's willing to go through the sacrifice of losing his family. He's going, willing to go through the sacrifice of being ruined financially, of having his health taken for him, from knowing that he might be leaving a widow and a, a one-year-old daughter on this earth that won't have a father. He knows that this might be the reality that he's going to have to walk out. He's found himself in the class of the poor. His only hope is in Jesus. All of his security is found only in Jesus. And he's lived in the reality that this life isn't all there is. That there's a life that awaits me. And because of that, I can go through the suffering that I'm going to endure in this life. I can go through the suffering that comes with being in the class of the poor. And the reality is for every one of us, we're going to find ourselves in that place someday. The richest of people all end up on a deathbed. And it doesn't matter how much wealth you've had. It doesn't matter how much power you may have had in your life. It doesn't matter how much security you may have had. There's going to come a time when you find yourself at that place where you are poor. You have no power. You have no influence. You have no security. There is nothing that you can do for yourself. There's nothing that anyone else can do for you. Is your hope going to be in all that we have here in this life? Are you going to live for what you can gain for yourself in this life? Or are you going to live for the kingdom that is to come? 
Because when you have an eternal mindset and the mindset of that we have a king who's coming and he's returning and we might suffer for a while on this earth and you might suffer greatly, but the promise that we have is that in all of our suffering, Jesus is with you that he never leaves you, that he never abandons you, that he never forsakes you. Jesus went through suffering more than any of us ever will. He knows what it's like to be poor. He knows what it's like to be despised. He knows what it's like to be rejected, even by his own family. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to find himself on the cross with his life leaving him. And because he knows those things, he's the best companion that we can have through our struggles. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. But the promise that we have is that he's there with us in all of our suffering. Jesus didn't promise that he was going to take you from the class of the poor and move you to the rich. It's the opposite. The disciples of Jesus, some of them were rich. Like Levi the tax collector who became Matthew. That dude had money. There were people that owned businesses. One of them was a scholar, sort of. But they gave it all up. They left all of it to come and to follow after Jesus. For all the disciples of Jesus, they left family. They left friends. They left businesses. They left their money. They left positions of influence. They were hated. They were despised. They were persecuted. They were mocked because they followed Jesus. They gave up everything they had to follow after Jesus. And to them, Jesus says, you're going to continue to have trouble in this world, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And there's a reward and a blessing that awaits you in heaven that no one will ever be able to take from you. What are you living your life for? Is it for what you can get in these few years that we have here on earth? Because if you are, you're a part of the class of the rich. And there are great sorrows that await you in eternity. But if you say, my hope is in Jesus... My security is in Jesus, and I'm not going to live for what I can do for myself now, but I'm going to live so that others might know Jesus. I'm going to live so that I might see justice reign and rule on this earth. I'm going to live, I'm going to spend my life giving sacrificially and generously to others and serving them. And I might go through great suffering. I might be rejected because of it. I might not know the blessings that culture says I should have in my life. I'm going to deny every desire of my flesh, every desire of my heart that keeps propelling me and saying, get riches for yourself. Get power for yourself. Hold on to all of the things that you have so you can have security. But we're going to give up all of those things because we recognize that the kingdom of God is a reality, that it's here, that it's now, that we can enter into it, but that it's also something that the fullness of it is coming at a later date and that the reward and the blessing of it will be beyond anything that we can ever imagine. Because we believe that to be the reality of this world, we're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to endure. We're willing to continue to persevere in our faith in Jesus, even when we find ourselves with the poorest of the poor, even when we find ourselves in great suffering. Because Jesus is worth it, and eternity is worth it. And then thirdly, this is if we are stewards of everything we have. Jesus is right if that we're stewards. And what that means is that we're not the masters of what we have. We're just the stewards of it. We think we're masters. That everything that we have, every dollar we have, every possession that we have, like this is mine. That's, you don't have to teach your kids to say mine. They just know how to say that. 
and they think everything is theirs. My kids will go over to someone else's house and grab their stuff and be like, mine. I'm like, no, why on earth would you think that's yours? But it's because it's the default setting of the human heart. We're trying to gather everything for ourselves. We think that we're the masters over everything. But Jesus says, you're not the master. I'm the master, not me. Jesus is the master. This isn't a cult. <laughs> Jesus says, I am the master. Your stewards, everything that you have, all of your money, all of your time, all of your resources, all of your energy, every possession, your family, your friends, your job, everything that you have is really something that you're a steward over. It's something that I've given you, and you're going to be called to give account for everything that I have entrusted to you. That's the parable of the talents. As Jesus says, I'm going to give you guys some money, and I'm going away, and I want you to invest it so that there's a return on it, so that when I come back, you have even more for me than what I gave you. He doesn't say, here's some money, go blow it on whatever you want. He says, I'm giving you this money, invest it, so that there's a return on it for me when I get back and demand it back. That's the way it is for us. Everything we have, we're a steward over it. Our finances, and this is a hard one. You know what's so funny is the more money you have, the less generous you generally are. And there's studies. When you look at poor people, like they're just throwing money to, hey, you have a need, I'll meet that need. They're able to give it away because it doesn't have as much of a hold on their heart. But the more money you have, the less of percentage of your income you give away to other people. Because it becomes something you find security in. We all become little golems. We're like, eh. We just love money and our hearts and our hopes attach themselves to it. And this is what Jesus says. He says, hey, the first 10% of all of your income, like that's mine. You give that to the church. And we're like, Argh. And so then some people, like 2% of Christians do that. And then they're like, okay, I, Jesus, I gave you my 10%. Are you happy now? And he's like, no, I'm not. Because that's just the first guideline that I gave you. This is what I demand. Now the other 90%, I'm telling you to invest for me in a way so that when I return, there's a return for it. So that first 10% of my income, I give that to the church because it's what God told me he wants to do with it. And then the other 90%, I don't blow it on me. I say, all right. How can I invest the other 90% of my income in a way that's going to bring glory to Jesus and is going to bring blessings to other people so that when I stand before Jesus and give account for the resources that he gave me, I'm able to say, Jesus, I was faithful with the 10% that you called me to, and then here's what I did with the other 90%. These are the people that are in the kingdom now because of how I use my money. These are the people that received blessing and generosity. This is the way that I stewarded my own heart and continuing to like kick greed away from us. I'm like, get away, greed, because it's so tempting to us. We have to give account for how we use the full 100%, not just the 10. When it comes to our time, how are we using our time? Like, I'm scared of the social media counter that's being tallied right now in heaven. Like, you spent how many weeks of your life on Instagram? Like, I thought it was a good use of my time, Jesus. Like, it just happens. Jesus, I couldn't read my Bible because I had to spend six hours watching TV. There's like this new series dropped on Netflix. I had to watch the whole thing today. You understand, right, God? So I couldn't pray today, but like you get it. We're stewards of our time. Jesus didn't just say, here's 80 years or whatever, knock yourself out. He says, here's 80 years. What's the return on your life going to be? Who's going to end up in heaven because of the way that you used your life? 
How are you going to bring hope to the hopeless? How are you going to bring justice to the oppressed? What are you going to do with your life, not to serve yourself and entertain yourself, but how are you going to serve other people? That's what Jesus did. He came and he served us. He laid his life down for us. If we want to look at how Jesus used his time, it's incredible. He's investing into people. He's getting away and he's praying and he's fasting and he's reading his Bible. He's encouraging people. He's going to the oppressed. He's healing. I mean, it's Jesus uses his time. He does more in 33 years than we would do in 333 years. Why? Not because he was God, but because he used his time wisely and he stewarded it. How are we stewarding the passions of our heart? What are we giving our hearts to? What are we passionate about? What are the causes that we're pursuing? Are they the things that are stewarding our hearts well? How are we stewarding our energy There are all of these different things that we have to look at our life and say, my life isn't about me. Jesus, when I made a decision to follow him, it was because I realized I was poor, that I couldn't provide salvation for myself, that my only hope was in Jesus. And now he's beginning this work of taking me from someone who's rich. And I mean, basically every person in this room is rich. You might think, well, I'm not rich compared to someone else. Well, compare yourself historically and compare yourself uh, globally. We are filthy, stinking rich. And I found myself, it's easier for me to identify with the, the woes that come to the rich than the blessings that are coming to the poor. Because I have so much. I'm often not grateful. Like, I'm so rich that I'm not grateful for the riches that I have. That's Americanism, if you ever wanted to know what it is. We're so blessed and we're so rich that we're begrudgingly ungrateful for our blessings. There's so much that I can do because of the influence and the platform and the privileges that God's given me to go to those who are living poor. God's called me to give up my money. He's called me to give up my time. He's called me to give up my resources. He's called me to give up my old passions and my rights and my privileges so that other people would come to know Jesus, so that we could fight injustice, so that we could be the hope that comes to the hopeless. This is what we've been called to do. This is how we've been called to live our lives. And it sounds absolutely stupid. It sounds absolutely foolish unless you believe that this life isn't all that there is. Unless you believe that the only hope that we really have in all of this world is in Jesus. And unless you believe that we're only the stewards of everything that God's given us, we aren't the masters. One thing we all have in common that we're all going to stand before Jesus one day. We're all going to be called to give account. For every breath that I've breathed, for every word that I've spoken, for every dollar that I've spent, for every way I've used every second of my life, I'm going to be called to give account for it. How am I going to spend my life? Am I going to die the rich man who has nothing but sorrows awaiting him? Or am I going to die the poor man who gave up everything I had, who was willing to suffer and to endure because I believe that this life was just a vapor and that all of eternity awaited me and that God has great blessings for me if I will be a faithful steward of everything that he's given me? Will I live with a heart that's broken? Not broken for myself, 
not broken for my own failed dreams or aspirations? Will I live a life that's broken for those who are poor? Will I live a life that's broken because I see so much unrighteousness in this world and I say, God, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty for your righteousness? Because if that's the way I live, that is going to be satisfied. Will I live with a heart that's mourning for the injustice that I see? Because if that's the way that I live, then laughter awaits me in eternity. Am I willing to be rejected by the culture that's around us and thought stupid and, and have people disapprove of the way that I live my life because it goes against the cultural wisdom and norms? So if I'm willing to do that, then I'm counted as a son of the living God. And I'm accepted by him. This life matters. These teachings of Jesus have the power to completely revolutionize and to change your life. And not just yours, but your families. It has the power to change your workplace. It has the power to change our city. Someone just sent me a little map yesterday, and on the map it had these red dots for every place where less than 2% of the people uh, were professing Christians or involved in a church. You know what was on that? Ann Arbor, Michigan. Our city desperately needs Jesus. And you know how we got to this point? It was because the church lived as the rich people. And they didn't care about the mission that God had given them. We have to repent of that. Let's say, God, as the church, as your body, we failed in what it was that we were called to do. We were living for ourselves to hang on to our rights and our privileges and our wealth instead of doing what you did and giving it all up so that others would know you. We need to repent as individuals. We need to repent as a church. Because it's our destinies. Rely on it. The eternal destiny of hundreds of thousands of people that God has placed in this county. They're waiting on us. Would you stand with me this morning? God, would you come and would you speak to our hearts? God, your word is truth. It has the power to change us, to transform us, to renew our minds. And God, would you be renewing our minds right now by what we've heard? You said that your word always accomplishes that for which it was sent out. God, we believe that, that your word was sent out to this place this morning to accomplish something inside of our hearts. Jesus, would you speak that to us? God, I pray for holy conviction over every heart. God, for every one of us that have been putting our security in ourselves, for every one of us that has been clinging to the things that we have. God, forgive us. God, change our hearts. Stir up passion for your kingdom and for your kingdom causes. God, that we be found faithful stewards of everything you've given us. Jesus, that we would give, that we would go, that we would serve, that we would give up what we have for you and for others. Jesus, I pray for every person here that finds themselves poor this morning. God, would you encourage them? 
would you lift their head? God, for every person here who's struggling financially, God, would you stir up hope and provision for them? God, for every person who's struggling with health issues, God, would you come and would you be healing to them? Jesus, for every person who's going through uh, oppression that they're suffering, God, for every person that's being hated, every person that's being excluded, Jesus, for every person that's hungering and thirsting for righteousness, Jesus, would you satisfy them? And Jesus, would they be aware of your constant presence in their life, that they're accepted by you, God, that they're more than conquerors in you, that they might be despised and poor in the eyes of this world, but that you see them so much differently. God, bring them the encouragement that comes from the fullness of the kingdom that is coming to us. And this morning, if you recognize that you haven't been living as a part of the kingdom of God, that you haven't put your faith in Jesus, that you haven't been living with him being your only hope, and this morning he's calling you, he's inviting you into his kingdom. And like the disciples, he's inviting you to go from the place of being rich to the place of being poor. He's inviting you to give up all that you have so that you can gain all of the things that no one could ever take away from you in heaven. If that's you this morning, then all it is is it becomes a decision for you. You say, Jesus, I believe that you died and that you rose again. Would you forgive my sins? Would you send your Holy Spirit into me? From this day forward, I'm following after you. Wherever you take me, whatever that means, whatever it might cost me, Jesus, my life is for you and for you alone. Come and do a new work in me. Breathe new life into me. God, fill me with fire and passion for you. And when you do that, he does it. And you start walking down that path of following after Jesus. And heaven awaits. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, amen. Well, I'm going to invite my prayer partners to come forward. They're just going to be right here on the sides. If there's anything that we can pray for you about, and we just see God do miracles every single week, and we want to see God do something in your life. So while everybody else is exiting, you can just come on up here. We'll pray for you. If not, uh, go out there, drink some coffee, make some friends, and we'll see you next week. God bless.